Welcome to the Flying Solo Podcast, a show for those going it alone in business. I'm your host, Robert Gerrish. Flying Solo is an Australian online community and home to stacks of free resources, discussion forums, professional development tools, and a whole lot more. Find us at flyingsolo.com.au or join us on Facebook. Today I catch up with futurist and innovation expert Craig Rispin. Craig, it's lovely to have you joining us. Thank you so much for spending time with the Flying Solo community. I'm looking forward to it. Well, now, talk about looking forward to things. I know if there's one person in certainly in the part of the world that I know that has any idea of kind of what's around the corner, it's you. It's a futurist. It's you, the futurist. So, <laughs> well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I kind of, I guess you kind of have to, don't you? If there's, if well, you're, it's my job. It's your I don't job. Get paid if I don't, if I don't get this no. stuff right. So. Yeah, that's right. So, actually, what happens? Does something ever kind of creep up and you go, "Oh, I didn't see that coming"? I mean, does that ever impact a futurist or not? Oh, sure. There are things called wild cards, things oh, okay. that we aren't expecting. And uh, But we prepare for those as well. Oh. But many of the things that I'm talking about are surprising to my clients, but I've been tracking them for many, many years. Okay. So there are things that I've been tracking for 10 years that people are surprised by now. Right. Oh, isn't that interesting? So this is a little bit like the overnight success pop band that's actually <laughs> been um, thumping away in, in venues for ages. Before. It's exactly the yeah. same. Okay. Yes, I remember someone saying to me that was a musician, I was an overnight success and it only took 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so look, let's dive into this, how the world of work is changing. So mm. clearly, you know, hey, it's changing a great deal. But, you know, if, you're, if you were, imagine you were at one of our events, I know you, you were a keynote um, presenter at one of our events a little while ago, and imagine you're in that room again now and there's, you know, well, there's a few more people in the room than there was then. Now, let's imagine you've got you know sixty odd thousand people sitting in front of you. What are you going to say? Where do we start? How is the world of work changing for for our audience? You think? All right. Well, it's really my job to try and wake people up to how the world is changing, and the reason that I do that, Robert, is I'm really concerned, especially for your members. If they don't see these things, it might you know grab them this year and. I don't want them to be hurt, so it's okay. better to be prepared. So mm. be, you know, be a scout, be prepared, <laughs> and focus this year on work, is, and it's going to affect big companies and micro-businesses. So don't say, well, that's a big company issue and it doesn't mm. affect me. It's throughout business. Work will focus on security. Thanks mm. to the NSA, thanks to the target hack that we just had, where one-third of all Americans' credit card details, their security numbers on the back of their cards, their home address, their phone numbers were leaked out onto the Internet, there will be no avoiding the focus on security moving forward. Mm. There will be a whole bunch of new technology coming out that will focus on security, and our work will have to focus on security. And I'll tell you a very short story why. Mm. I run mentoring groups monthly for SMEs. Your flying solo audience members, they come along as well, and they, they say, Craig, an awful thing happened to me. And this has happened multiple times over the last few years, and it's going to happen more and more this year. And they say, Craig, I had to come along to your group because I remember you mentioning this, and it's just happened to me. 
I've opened up my laptop and I'm completely locked out. There's an FBI warning on my screen saying, put in your credit card details, your machine has been hacked. We're warning you, put in your credit card details and we'll unlock your machine. And they want to charge me $300 and I can't do anything. So I call my IT consultant and she can't do anything. And Craig, should I pay the money? Mm. And I'll tell you, the last time that this happened, it was a doctor. He runs a small medical practice, you know, about four employees. So he's a small business, but it is a medical practice, but it is mm. a small business. He couldn't trade. All his client records, patient records, they're all scanned in the computers now. They're not on paper. So it's just completely locked out. Completely locked out. And he was held ransom. So we have to have this focus on security. Mm. So let me give you an example of this and how it affects micro business. You don't mm. want that happening to you. Can, you, so you can I just ask you one thing? Sure. Is there a happy ending for that doctor and his clients? No. <laughs> okay. And unfortunately, I couldn't do anything about it. Mm. And of course, the problem with being a futurist, if you get these things right, and you've been warning your customers for 15 years to move on to more secure systems, when it actually happens, they remember you said it. So you become a walking I told you so. <laughs> so it's really terrible thing because you only hear about the disasters. And they go, Craig, you told me. Now what am I going to do? Mm. So unfortunately, if this happens to any of your members, the first thing that you should do, and it says on this screen, do not call the police. The first thing you should do is call the police right, okay. because it is, it is an international organized crime ring that is doing this around the world. And I'm not just making this up. I'm not trying to scare your listeners. This is happening every day. If you Google it, you'll see it on all the newspapers of small businesses being locked out of their client records. And you do not pay the fee because what happens is you pay the fee to get your files unlocked. Do you think they unlock them? No. No, they don't. Mm. So we must focus on security. And on the, there was just an announcement at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. A company was the hit of the show, and they had one of the smallest booths. But as a company that launched in 2006, they're called iLock, E-Y-E, Lock. E -Y -E -Lock. Mm -hmm. And they have launched a product called Myris, and it scans your irises, which is mm. the second most personal biometric that is most secure, has most data points. DNA is first and iris is second. Wow. And this little, going to be sub $300 device is just like Minority Report. Remember, um, uh, you know, Cruz running around in that sci-fi movie and he was being scanned by these eye scanners saying, mm -hmm. yeah, well, we now have it in the palm of our hand. And more and more Devices, you can see Apple with their new iPhone 5 has a yeah. have this biometric, you know, a thumbprint scan, yeah. and they've pretty much forced their customers to put a passcode lock on their phone because they think it's so important. When you first set up your that iPhone, they go, "Don't you want to do this right now?" And of course, mm. you do. And I don't know about you, Robert, I never really had a passcode on my phone until I got the fingerprint scan. Did mm. you? Do you always have a look? I, I do. I'm just a bit paranoid like that. I've got, oh. <laughs> got passcodes. Maybe it comes from having a young son with very busy fingers. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah. So it's very important. Things like this iLock, the Myris product, and for, especially for micro businesses, more secure laptops. Mm. So I'll give you an example of a more mm. secure laptop that was a big surprise in 2013. Was um, we got these sales figures out for the end of the year. 
And one-fifth of all laptops sold were a Chromebook, Robert. Yeah, okay. Do you know about Chromebooks? I do. Look, I I do. And and I know they're still very, very sort of fledgling um, in Australia. But, um, yeah, I do. And I I love the concept. But um, they're certainly not taking off here yet, are they? Well, they are because this is – I'll tell you where it's going to take off first. And this first happened in America – And next, it's going to happen in New South Wales and Victoria and Queensland. And I'll tell you why is that education has really taken Mm -hmm. this up. Mm -hmm. Because education has moved on to Google Apps because it's free. And they don't have to pay Microsoft software licenses. And then you get this thing, this little Chromebook for $300 -hmm. that works perfectly with all your Google Apps. So if you run Google Apps in your small business or any of the apps that run within a Chrome web browser like Angry Birds, if you play games, they all work within a web browser. This is essentially just a laptop without an operating system. Well, it has a boot operating system, Mm. but you run everything within the Chrome web browser. And it's much more secure because you can hit a single button on the keyboard and you can completely wipe the entire drive Mm. and restore it to its original state. So you can't get locked out mm. by these by these nasty. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd, I mean, I so I I think they're wonderful, and and I remember when when they they first came out, and I like there's a new little HP one, isn't there? That's a very sexy looking looking thing that looks very similar to uh, MacBooks and so on. But mm. um, surely it's still it's going to take a while to get people to move from their lumbering PCs and their Microsoft Office and Word stuff, isn't it? Yes. Well, I I will make a prediction for this year, and this year will be the year of the Chromebook Mm. because when you've got one-fifth of all the sell-through of all laptops in America being Chromebooks, and the reason being education, this year, Mm. with with the new school year that's starting, we don't have the federal program for school kids where they get given... A netbook, no. they're being asked to bring their own device and one of the recommended machines, or actually two of the recommended machines for New South Wales and for Victoria and Queensland are Chromebooks. Mm. They really, And I think kids are going to come home, their parents are going to see them running this laptop. They're going to go, hmm, that's a $300 laptop and they yeah. seem to be able to do everything they want to do. Yeah. Then I think they're going to end up buying one and taking it to work. And that's my prediction because that's what's happened in America. And companies like Lenovo, you know, used to be mm-hmm. IBM and is now a Chinese firm, is going big. They're, they're doing a big blitz, they call it, of multiple Chromebooks. And the one that I really like, if I can make a, a particular recommendation mm. on a product, is Acer just announced a new C720P uh, Chromebook. And what I like about it is it's uh, $299 US, and it has a touchscreen on it as well. So many mm, of the... Fabulous. Yeah, for $300, a touchscreen, so you can use it like a tablet if you want to. It, it doesn't disconnect the screen, but you, know, mm-hmm. you can use touch as well as a mouse and a trackpad. And for $299 and a very, very secure machine, I'd highly recommend it for your, for your listeners. Mm. I, I, I remember when, I, when the first, oh, I remember seeing one of the very early sort of Chromebook ad campaigns, which was just, I remember it was, it was a real shock to see it. it was somebody working away in a laptop and as this person was working away someone came along and poured a cup of coffee over it so he just kind of threw it away and got another one and everything was <laughs> as it was and then someone came along with a hammer and smashed the keys and just demonstrating that you don't lose anything because it's all automatically saved in the cloud it's all there and the laptop is merely the means of connection isn't it it's not it doesn't, right. doesn't store anything no and hmm. what's great is 
It's uh, you know just connected to Google's cloud. It has local storage, 32 gigabytes in that Acer, but you get an extra 100 gigabytes when you connect it to Google Drive, which is part of the Google mm. apps. And I have to say, about your comment of people not giving up their Microsoft uh, products, I'm not anti-Microsoft, but here are the actual numbers. Microsoft is losing 10,000 customers a day right now wow. to Google Apps. And here in New South Wales is their biggest, where I'm based, in Sydney. Mm. You know, the, the Department of Education and Training is the single biggest user of Google Apps in the world. 1.4 million school kids, teachers, administrators, TAFE teachers. Um, the, wow, the, what an the, incredible uh, statistic. Yeah, 1.4 million, mm. and the biggest in the world. So I think that will rub off on their parents. So this is, I mean, just, I know we've got other other areas we'll dive into, but... Oh, I've got tons to I'm talk sure about. you have. <laughs> I could talk about this one for an hour, but um, what about all those people listening who think, oh, th this is just Google taking over the world again? I mean, it's, um, should we be should we be scared? Should we be concerned? Or presumably, if if this if this continues at this pace, then there's going to be a lot more competition. I mean, Apple aren't going to sit around and watch um, all their sales go yeah. over to Chromebook any more than um, a lot of the other PC manufacturers are, are oh, they? Oh, don't worry about Apple. They're doing very well. They're not focusing really on laptops. I mean, they've got laptops, and they're the best-selling laptops in the world. They're the, uh, the, the MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros. Mm. Did you know that Apple are the best-selling laptops in the world? But anyway, it doesn't still that surprise me. Laptop sales, desktop sales are, are down year-on-year, 15%. Year, We're really moving towards what Apple calls a post-PC world. And tablets in 2013, by the end of the year, we outsold uh, desktops and laptops. So last year was a tablet world. Oh, uh, last year was a mobile world. It mm -hmm. wasn't really a laptop world. But we still need to get work done. We need things with keyboards. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really easy to buy online or walk into a shop and say, give me that Acer for $300. You type in your Google credentials and instantly all of your documents, all of your contacts, all of your calendars mm. are there instantly. So Fantastic. I'm a huge, I'm, I'm saying I consider it disposable technology. You can pour coffee on it, mm. hit it with a hammer. You don't think, oh, my beautiful MacBook my Pro that I spent $1,600 on, right? You know, mm. get one as an extra machine. So when you if you get a virus on your a Windows machine and you get locked out, you can boot up into, into Google else. within seconds. Brilliant. I must say I went into um, JB Hi-Fi, I can mention the old brand here and there, uh, only a few days ago. And they had a big sort of dump in by the door selling Android tablets for $47. Oh yes, <laughs> and they're just—they're just last year's model. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's end of life product. So. I mean, you leave that on the bus; it doesn't ruin your life, does it? No, and it's also—it's good for things like um, those cheap tablets. You can plug them into your TV and turn your dumb TV into a smart TV. Mm, amazing. So that's one way you can use it. So. Right, well, blimey, here we've only just started. So, security—that's num that's, that's number one. First we'll cab off the rank. On security. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, where to next? Second of all, work will focus on all customers rather than just a narrow customer base. So many of my clients are they're saying, Craig, I really need to think about who my customers of the future are, and I need to know what my customers, my older customers are doing as well. So future customers and older ones too. So this big theme of who, where, who's got my customer first? Who's mm. got my customer first? So somebody before me, uh, has already got my customer, and I need to collaborate with them. 
and somebody after me is going to take my customer. And can I look at my customer as, as a life cycle, as a life cycle? Hmm. So many businesses, I'm working with a foundation that are connecting their future employers, their future employees to them. This is uh, a group called the Beacon Foundation. Hmm. And they're getting funding millions and millions of dollars to help school kids have the skills that when they leave school that employers want. So they're focusing on their future employees, but they're also focusing on their future customers. So they're going into schools and teaching them things so they can be better consumers. So a perfect example of this is the Commonwealth Bank spends over $8 million a year training kids on financial literacy because they want them as future customers. Mm. Now on the micro scale, I see uh, individual flying solo type uh, uh, businesses uh, taking this idea and saying, who's got my customer first? Are they in school first? Or does another type of business have them first? And who's going to have them next? And can we set up a, 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 a life cycle view of our customer? So if I could fo- get your listeners to mm-hmm. focus on, um, just think about this for the next 30 days. Who's got my customer first? And can we come up with some kind of alliance or agreement? And who's gonna, who wants my customer next? And can I you know, form some kind of uh, cooperative you know, mm. to, um, to, to hand these customers off one to another? And of course, there's this um, worldwide um, leads exchange network you probably heard, heard about. And that's exactly what they do. Mm. But it's kind of tired in the way that it's run, and I'm encouraging flying solo members to get together and ask at the meetups that you have, you know, who around the room would have a customer that I would like to have, and who, what kind of customers do I have that they'd like to have, and mm. can we come come up with some way to introduce each other to our best customers? That's a great thought. And so, also, what you're saying there, and I was trying, I had suddenly had this vision of. Of you standing outside schools trying to flog alco pops just to sort of get, <laughs> but you're not really suggesting this is this is a very positive thing you're talking about. It's basically looking at, at where customers are bef- before they necessarily become customers. But this, like the, the example you use with Commonwealth Bank, sure. So here's a perfect mm. example. I recently went to um, Castle Hill Towers shopping, and mm-hmm. they shopping center and. The Apple store was packed. It's right next to David Jones. Yep. Absolutely packed. And uh, they have a new roving cart, sort of a, a little kiosk there. And who's sitting outside but an accessories dealer right outside the Apple store. And I said, why did you set up outside the Apple store? All the customers are in there. And he said, well, I, they get the customer first. They buy the iPhone. They look at all the cases and accessories. And then they walk out. And they see, and I only mm. sell the things that Apple doesn't sell, mm. right? And I said, "Oh, what a great idea!" I mm. said, "Apple has your customer first. Mm. So he set up where the customer was first. So maybe you need to turn up at one of your colleagues' office and talk about what you do, and maybe you need to invite them mm. to meet your customers so they can talk about what they do. Mm. Maybe oh, you could do that over a cup point. of coffee. It's a great point, and I think it it really sort of um, speaks to. Something that we see quite a lot um, within our community, and indeed we wrote about it many years ago in our little book, is that there's too often a tendency to, when you're working by yourself, particularly those that are selling their professional services, 
for a fee is you tend to think of okay i've got i've won this contract it's going to keep me in bread and water for another six months often what we don't do as business owners is is think beyond that you know is okay well what happens at the end of that contract how can i maintain a relationship viably and of value to that person but too often if it's a if it's a short contract we start thinking and talking and behaving as if we're getting to the end of a contract and we shouldn't be doing that should we no we should be introducing them to the next you know we know who they're going to go to next probably yes. if we think about it so yeah. um i formed a cooperative 3 years ago and with uh, a bunch of other innovators and futurists. And from the outside, you would look at us and say, well, you guys are all competitors. Mm. But we actually turned into collaborators. And I have to tell you, Robert, even though we didn't form a separate company or didn't exchange shares or anything like that, we were able to get much larger contracts together mm. than we could apart. And instead of them hiring us once to speak at the annual conference, they were hiring us for year-long programs. Of course. And we couldn't do that individually. So I, and, and also, I just want to touch on this point. Our future customers will be older. We're all getting older every day. Mm. And um, I, I wrote a book in 2009, How to Think Like a Futurist, and it was a large print book. It was a picture book for adults with large print. And you wouldn't believe how many customers came up to me and said, oh, Craig, it was so relaxing to read your book because your type was so large. And you wouldn't believe the amount of business I got out of that, Robert, just because it was you know, a large type book. And I didn't do it you know, for the large type market. I just knew that most of my readers were 50-plus-year-old men, and most yeah. of my customers had glasses. And if I could give them a book where they didn't have to put their glasses on, it would make them feel a certain way, and I would have emotional connection into them. So thinking about that, uh, many of your uh, members would have clients that are 50-plus years old, 60-plus mm, sure. years old, still in the marketplace. They're still serving them. Can you design your product or service specifically addressing the needs of older customers? And mm. if you do and you can create this emotional response – your customers will love you. So think about mm. that. How can I? How mm, can that's I a great you? point. And particularly as, as it's uh, uh, that sector, and obviously you know I'm I'm firm, fairly and squarely in that group, and you're not far off yourself. No. You know, is that um, we are uh, a very well, a, a large percentage, a very active group. Word of mouth is still very very powerful within that sector. And uh, there's a number of sort of opinion leaders in, in that demographic, aren't there? So uh, they're a good group to embrace, even if they don't form a large part of your audience. They deserve to be, um, this is a desperate bit to try and get people to do things with more pictures. Yeah. And it goes all the way up to Aged Care. Aged Care Association is one of my clients. And uh, Bernard Salt from KPMG spoke mm. at their conference with me. He did the opening keynote. I did the closing keynote. And uh, in his opening keynote, he said, the number one question when people are entering uh, aged care facilities are, what do you think the number one question is as they're entering aged care facilities now, Robert? Oh, look, it's probably something like, have you got internet access? Are you on the MBN? <laughs> dear, oh dear. I, just, I, I didn't think too deeply there. I just thought, what would I want to know? And that is what I want to know. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Fascinating. Okay, so look, we're looking security first thing is in the, on the, the new world of work that we need to be very well aware of and be getting across. The next, I love this, this, this last topic we've talked about, about all customers, not narrow. So thinking about 
where your customers are before they sort of typically come to you and where they go afterwards. I think that's a, and as you say, a wonderful sort of conversation to have in a small meetup or in a small group just to start thinking like that. Mm. So where to next? What's, what else you got up your sleeve for us? Well, the last major theme that, uh, that I'm seeing emerging and certainly I'll be focusing on in my business, and I would say that uh, micro-businesses and large businesses are talking about this, work will focus increasingly on co-working. And mm. when I say co-working, I don't mean a place, but more and more on collaboration, connection, and not only for the meetup type uh, opportunities that we spoke about, mm -hmm. focusing on the customer. But just think, look at the rise of freelancer, 99designs. Mm. This is co-working. You're outsourcing. Uh, one of my clients is getting an app designed for $500, $499, getting it all designed, every screen, every icon, at, at, through a contest at 99designs. It's an example of a co-working, but also... Mm being in the same place. So um, I'm on the board of directors of several co-working facilities around the country. I advise them on this trend. I've been involved in the industry for over a decade, and now it's the number of co-working facilities where people, micro-sized businesses, mm. SMEs, can come together and collaborate. And they might have a theme, uh, uh, an idea, and maybe a tech startup co-working facility. Yep. Uh, but many of them have education as well. So it's not just getting space, but they'll have ongoing education, how to start up a business, how to collaborate around design, around robotics, 3D printers. Mm. And if we need to think about if we're going to fly solo, who's part of my network yeah. so I can offer a total solution to my customer? And so how do I build that? Uh, I can do it through meetups, but I can also do it through co-working. What's mm. really interesting through the, the places that we co-work is that most co-working facilities, you know, people only spend on average 20 hours a week. So they're not there full time. No. They're going to meetups, they're meeting with clients, they're working from home, they're working on transport, they're working anywhere, but there's one hub that they can get to. And uh, I, I'm really surprised that we don't have a flying solo co-working facility in Sydney and Melbourne yet. What's, yeah. what's going on, Robert? <laughs> Look, I've I got to tell you, it's we've, we've um, done a reasonable amount of uh, talking and thinking around that. And it's the only reason we haven't is, is we're, we're pretty busy doing what we're doing. But we look at it and we've been, as you know, you and I have met in a, a few co-working spaces. And I look at a few and some do it well and, and some don't do it at all well. And um, whenever I go in, I'm, I'm probably the worst person to ever go in one because I'm, I'm super critical often of how they're running because I have a passion about those things myself. But look, we'll get there one day, let's put it that way. But we've got some other, other, other fish to fry in the meantime, I think. Well, it, I can say the co-working industry needs people like you that are not hypercritical. Mm. You're discerning. Mm. You want a certain thing. And we need that energy in the industry. This is an industry that doubled its size last year and will mm. double its size next year. Yeah. You know, we're talking about 6,000 co-working facilities, but it's not just the place. It's the culture. Mm. The culture. Look, and you already have a particular culture, and I think that needs to be brought to a physical mm. space. And I would say outsource it. Collaborate. Do mm. it through a co-working agreement. Mm. You're too busy but you could bring the culture to the place. Thank and you. I would You're say you're coaching your me here, aren't you? You're coaching me now. I can tell yeah, you. Are. No, no, well, <laughs> but, but and the reason is that I'm involved with some of these centers. We're opening mm. a new one on the Gold Coast. 
And uh, who's turned up as sponsors? We've had uh, cash to pay our two years of our lease. Mm. We've had Telstra decide to close their shop and move it into our facility. We've had local government move their workers in. We've got law firms taking space. And we haven't even opened our doors yet. Mm. So, That's certainly uh, a hot topic, isn't it? It's a hot topic. And mm. it's going to be really, really big this year. If you don't have... Uh, that third place that you can go to for a reliable connection, mm. good coffee, and good quality conversation, mm. you really are missing something in your yeah, life. Yeah, look, and I, I absolutely agree with that. So I think that I think one thing that happily is starting to happen more and more, and it goes back a little bit to the conversation we had a few moments ago, is too often co-working spaces are seen as being absolutely totally populated by the macbook pro single speed bearded tech startup people and this is just not who it is these yeah. it's changing rapidly last time i went into a really big one in fabulous one down in melbourne they've now opened up in sydney as well mm. um i was very encouraged to see so many people of varying ages and in very very different businesses some very established it's not the kind of place where you need to, um, you know, you don't have to be cutting edge startup entrepreneur. You, it's no. literally a place to go, as you say, to connect, to share ideas and to have that. And the way you described it, I think, is, is absolutely spot on where it's it's a place you can go. You don't have to go there every day, but you can mm -hmm. go that's reliable and it's got all those things that you say. I think that's um, very interesting. And the other notion, I guess, is that taking a meetup, which is a small group of people meeting informally into a sort of co-working is a very easy segue, isn't it? It's a very small step. So I would encourage your meetups to try and find a place they go to on a regular basis. Mm. Maybe that place uh, evolves into they all decide to become the first foundation members of their own co-working facility. Mm. So um, I, I've done this with a number of uh, meetups, uh, special interest groups with the other industry groups that I've been involved in where we've had a particular focus, innovation or technology. And that has naturally evolved into um, these business owners asking me the question. Some of them are quite large business owners, legal firms even, mm -hmm. Robert, who mm -hmm. are saying, do we need those flash offices in all the cities mm. around the country? Well, our clients don't come to our offices. We go to them. And many of them are shutting these giant offices and moving their lawyers into co-working facilities. Mm. So it's for big businesses are asking me. There's, you know, this chief executive um, stopped me after my keynote in December in the, this legal industry. And he said, Craig, you talked about co-working just this week. I'm about to sign you know, new leases in five capital cities. Mm. And you just stopped me from putting that pen to paper. <laughs> Thank goodness, because where do people want to work? Where do his employees want to work? They have a lot more fun in a nicely thought through co-working space with the right kind of culture than they ever will in a boring old standard corporate space, wouldn't they? That's right. Now, so, look, I've got to ask you, thank you very much for sharing your time with us. And it's always... Um, it's always exciting and it's you know, a little part of me always wants to crawl under the desk when I'm speaking with you because I think, oh my God. No, I'm sorry. No, but how, what's it like for you? Come on, tell me honestly. Do you ever, do you, do you get those little quiet times when you're on your own and you just think, I wish the future would just go away? Do you ever get like that? Or is it 
because is it pumping through your veins so much that you just love it 24 7 i love it 24 7 and <laughs> look this is what i wanted to do when i was 10 years old and i actually get paid to do it mm. i can't believe it and i good, get to you know uh, really make a difference in my client's uh, life yesterday one of my uh, mentorees i run these mentoring groups mm. sydney and melbourne he said thanks craig you just saved me a hundred dollars a month and for him he's a micro business a, you know sole mm. proprietor a hundred dollars a month you, you know said, yeah that was pretty good for the day i mm. would say so he was so happy he said well uh, my january's uh, done so <laughs> out, he said i'll see you next month so <laughs> and and the, this that thing that i helped him with is something that I've been helping my clients with for 15 years. And all right. I said to him was, um, you know, reevaluate all your IT contracts. Mm. It's the, you know, we're in, in a new year, business is changing, new focuses. Let's, you know, look at all the contracts we have and, and reevaluate whether we mm. really need them. So. Yeah, so right. Look, thank you. Thank you so much, Craig, for joining us. And that's where we'll leave this show from Flying Solo. I'm Robert Gerrish, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're looking to start a business or rejuvenate the one you're in, you'll find heaps of resources at flyingsolo.com.au and a supportive community on our forums and Facebook. Thanks for listening. 